0: begin our first evening together um, with a very warm welcome to each of you, and I know that Chris has already uh, welcomed you warmly, so a second warm welcome, and I'd like to introduce my co-teacher and dear friend Annie, and we will be sharing the talk this evening the opening talk. And we're having problems with the speaker. I'm just not hearing you coming out. Okay. Can we just uh be quiet for a moment? <laughs> It is working? Okay. (laughs) It's also making a lot of noise. We're going to have to... I think maybe it's too loud. Let's try it a little softer. Okay. Takes a few days to get these little things straightened out. And even... (laughs) It's a great, really, truly a great joy to be here with you all. And and it's an honor to be able to spend... um, this next month or for some of you I- in the next couple of weeks in a way that's quite unique um, and quite special uh, in our culture is anybody here at, at all deaf
1: <laughs> 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 I'm asking for are you a little bit Can you, may I try something? please that's what I thought you were going to ask. Has anyone here got any technical <laughs> genius? I was going to suggest that you try without it and see if someone Well,
0: that's why I asked if anybody's, if there's anybody that's a little bit deaf, then we need it. I, there's no doubt. Well, thank you. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay sure can we turn it off could you turn it off we'll see how it goes thank you very much if I'm not speaking loud enough um, just put your finger up and the same when Annie speaks just put your finger up and we'll try to project a little bit more. As we enter into retreat, um, each one of us alone and also uh, together as a group, we're creating or we could say co-creating a temporary village, a temporary spiritual practice community. And we come together, as one of my Burmese teachers says, we come together as a Dhamma family. As we begin this period of a commitment to exploring and to cultivating and deepening our inner life. Cultivating and deepening our capacity for and the experience of concentration and mindfulness, loving-kindness, compassion, and opening into a clear insight into the nature of things through our meditation practice. It seems that for many people, and not just in our culture, but all over the world, maybe maybe more specifically or more so in our culture, there's a tremendous amount of time and energy spent, or maybe more accurately, expended cultivating an outer life. Doing things and producing things and acquiring things, going places, being somebody, becoming something. This month here in retreat, it'll be quite special and unique in that none of this is really important. Oh, nor will any of it be asked of you in the ordinary ways of the seeming requirements and expectations of the world. So whether you've engaged in practice in in this particular way, this form uh, numerous times before, or if this approach to practice is relatively new for you, or maybe very new for you. You certainly may know the experiences that arise for many of us at the onset of a retreat. This sense that we often have of entering into sacred space and time of entering into a kind of sanctuary, both within our surroundings and within ourselves. And for me, whether I'm teaching or entering into a period of intensive personal practice, there's always this feeling in my heart and mind of entering into sacred time and space, both inwardly and also in relationship to my surroundings here at the San Geronimo Lodge, the very obvious beauty and sacredness of all of the life surrounding us. And also the incredible diversity and the natural rhythms of life happening right here all around us. The weather and all of its changes, the changes in the light, Light to dark, again to light, and then again to dark. And here we are at the beginning of this spring season, with myriad ongoing changes occurring. And all of the forms of life, the community of beings that we share this place with abundant birds, and quite a few other creatures, insects, the trees, and all of the other manifestations of plant life, and of course the air itself. All constantly changing, beginning, ending, birthing, dying the natural world so close around us and so easily available for us to connect with. It's really a great gift that we're not separate from. A gift that holds us in itself. This world of nature is really a great teacher of the perfectly natural fluidity and diversity and change that just simply is. It's a mirror of the truth of ourself, Our nature as nature. If we can really consider nature, we realize that it's no problem to itself. It's no problem to itself, in itself. And so we can learn from this mirror of naturalness, the just-isness, the just-beingness, the absolutely open-hearted presence, we might say, of this perfectly natural world. It seems to me really no surprise that Humans are drawn to places like this. Places where untarnished naturalness and beauty are so easily accessible. Many of us experience an easy, open-hearted connection in moments of simple, clear presence when we take the time to really, truly arrive and be. To simply just be, for instance, with the late afternoon light. Maybe today for some of you. An early morning sunrise. Or the changing sky colors at the close of the day. Or very open-heartedly receiving and really truly seeing the particulars of how early spring displays itself in maybe very small or larger ways. And of course, along with any of this, moments of a silent, direct, clear, and simple presence in the body, the mind, and the heart, any time of the day, any time of the night. One day in the 92nd year of her life, My mother stopped for a few moments during our daily out-of-doors walk and she stooped over and looked silently for quite a long time at a flower that was very full in its blooming, very full in its liveliness. And after a couple of moments, she just simply said with great reverence, she said, it's great to be alive. Probably to each one of us has come some unexpected, unsuspected, and maybe even exceptional moments during times of simple, clear, unfettered attention. Moments we could call spiritual attention. And the natural world is often the place where this happens for us most easily, at least at first. Also in a place like this, there's quite a bit of accumulated energy. All of the people that have come here to learn and to practice, all of those who've come here to reflect and to do inner work, to explore, to investigate the nature of things, all of the teachings that have been offered here and all of the teachers who've offered them. It's really a wonderful symbiotic and expanding energy that we're both partaking of and also adding to. How incredibly fortunate that we're here, all of us, right now. During these retreat days, we have the great gift of being taken care of in a beautiful and simple way. All of our basic needs are met. While you're here, life is pared down, simplified for most of you, from your usual daily life activities, the demands and the seeming needs. There's really not very much to do during this month. They're sitting, walking, eating, hearing, sleeping, meeting briefly every few days with Annie and me, spending a bit of time every day with your yogi job, and most importantly, cultivating a clear, concentrated, and mindful attention. And then bringing this attention to your particular experiences of body, mind, and heart. So compared to the ways of the world, there's really not very much to do during these next weeks, which is a very good thing to remember because some of you may have such a strong habit of keeping busy that you may go on creating all sorts of things to do just simply out of habit. I think that it's fair to say that quite often our minds are kind of like junkyards. (laughs) There's really a lot of rubbish, in fact, that we put into our mind all the conversations, the magazines, the newspapers, all sorts of stuff online from our computers. And then all the entertainments. We just kind of pour it all in. Someone once said to me that there's a veritable jam session, she said, going on in her mind. And the problem is, that it makes us really quite tired. And in relationship to the work that we do in the world. You may have chosen a particular job, not just because you need to make a living. There are probably other things that you could have done to make money. Maybe the work that you do, either to help make money or in volunteer ways, you choose because you want to help. But we can give out, actually, in the helping, if we don't take time to replenish. We need to take in as well as give out. And I think for so many people, when one normally thinks of resting, maybe the television set gets turned on, or some program on your computer, same as the television set, really. (laughs) Or we go out somewhere to do something. But these aren't the things that really give us a rest. In fact, even sleep doesn't really give the heart and the mind a true rest. For a genuine relaxation, we need to give ourselves some inner space. Clear out the junkyard, so to say. And allow the inner noise to quiet down. And the way to do this, is to keep the mind, keep the attention, purely in the moment. This is really the most perfect rest for the mind. The most perfect rest for the heart. And this is what we call meditation, or a big part of what we call meditation. The mind is relaxed, and alert, and focused. Even just a few moments of this. And one feels quite refreshed and quite wide awake. And so for many of you, you may be choosing to begin your retreat with learning and practicing towards keeping the mind, keeping the attention focused in the moment. With your focus of attention being purely and simply on the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath. In the area maybe of the nostrils, or in the abdominal area, in the belly, or possibly the sensations of the breath as it moves in and through the whole body. It's a very common way to settle in to begin to practice and for some to continue on with practice. And it's a wonderful and simple approach to training the heart and the mind to be and to stay in the moment. So, in light of this and what I've spoken about uh, just a few moments ago, One of the things that we're practicing here in retreat is renunciation. Meaning in this case, letting go of busyness. Letting go of the usual distractions that you use, that you engage in to try to relax out of all of the busyness. And really what a gift it is, this renunciation. Really simplifying your life. And spending time, spending the time looking inward. Just simply being. Not becoming anything or anybody. And not filling up the mind with more stuff. But really just simply being and directly connecting with your experience just as it is in the moment. And so we begin together in a kind of sanctuary. Being here together in this place of refuge, this place of safety and protection that holds and engenders deep respect and a deep acceptance. It's really, truly a valuable gift that you've given yourself and that you give to each other simply by being here together in this Dhamma family. I think for just about everyone, there are many different mental states and bodily energies that come up at the onset of a retreat. Maybe some excitement, maybe nervousness, some anxiety, a little bit of worry, maybe delight, maybe relief. And this comes for people, even who have sat many, many retreats. For me, in teaching or beginning a personal retreat, many of these same flavors of energy move through my heart and my mind and body. It's really just human nature. It's human nature for this to happen as we enter into something new. And it's always new, no matter how many retreats you may have sat. And how very fortunate it is that we're embodied as we are in human form. This precious human existence making it possible to practice with the possibility of cultivating a pure, kind, and balanced mind and heart. We're actually a minority, a small minority, here on this earth, in this universe, and of course, who knows beyond. There are more than 11 million species living on this planet think about it. I mean, just for instance, consider insects. A friend of mine who owns and runs a plant nursery here in Taos told me that there are 200 million bugs, as she put it, per human on the planet. 200 million for each one of us. So how fortunate to be embodied in the way that we are. This human heart and body are really the most conducive towards developing concentration, mindfulness, kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, and the great gift of wisdom. Because of the particular mixture that each of us has of both pleasure and pain. There's actually just enough of each. Sometimes a little more of one, and sometimes a little more of the other, and at times maybe some big handfuls of one and seemingly not much, if any, of the other. But the truth is that it changes. It changes back and forth and back and forth within a week, daily, and even within moments. So really this human realm offers us the best conditions that we could ask for. There are beings that primarily live in what could be called the lower realms where the intensity of suffering is so great that it's impossible or nigh unto impossible to develop the wholesome qualities of mind and heart needed for practice and most likely each one of us in this room have been in those lower realms at times we know that place of tremendous fire and contraction, where it feels impossible to be present with our experience, or where it seems impossible to connect with goodness, acceptance, kind-heartedness, joy, compassion, or any degree of equanimity, let alone wisdom. then there are the higher realms what are called the higher realms the places where our experience is extremely blissful and unless we're mindful during these times we can lose our practice and maybe you've also tasted this at least moments of it we might forget that life isn't always so blissful That life doesn't always go our way. In the blissful moments, it's actually quite easy to forget that we still have our spiritual work to do. So this realm that we live in most of the time, this place where we experience both pleasant and unpleasant, this place of our precious human existence, This is the place of our practice. There's an ancient teaching that says if all the world were water and a wooden ring one foot in diameter was thrown upon the water and blown about by the winds. The teaching says that a blind turtle surfacing once every hundred years would put its neck through this wooden ring more easily than one can obtain a precious human existence. So we're really a rare species within the enormous breadth of life on this planet. And so here we all are with some wonderful weeks ahead of us. Cultivation and discovery a time of exploration purification and understanding which some of the time might not be so easy and in fact may even be quite challenging at times but all the while it also includes the incredible potential of bringing forth calm Tranquility, joy, loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, illumination, and insight. And here in retreat, we have all the time we need for meditation practice. You'll be doing lots of formal sitting and walking practice as the retreat goes on, you can practice mindful presence walking down any hallway, outside anywhere, standing in line to get food, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, washing your face and body, and for some of you, shaving your face, using the bathroom, drinking your tea or water or coffee, and on and on it goes. It's about just being there, just being here, in the present, without mental commentary. You might like to experiment, maybe for a few days, or maybe longer, with making a very simple resolve, a simple determination, once a day, in the morning, I will really be here for this in-breath for this out I will really be here for this action, whatever it is. It's really, in some way, all just habit. And quite often many of us have the habit of being unaware, of not being present. But we can develop, we can cultivate the habit of really being fully present and once we start to be present in the moment everything opens up when we're really truly focused and mindful it's a very naked experience we could say wakeful, vivid the Buddha Dhamma is about transforming the mind transforming the heart So we practice, we develop, we prompt this transformation through formal meditation practice. But it also has to include the Dhamma of our everyday life. And I've already mentioned some of those possibilities right here in retreat. And as I've mentioned, some people like to begin a time of uh, practice, intensive practice, with attending to the cultivation of concentration, attending to the development of a one-pointed, clear, laser-like focus. And this can be a skillful means for our meditation practice, and it always, always needs to be accompanied by mindfulness. So a very simple example we could say of this in our daily life maybe an experience that some or many of you have had when you listen to music. When you really, really listen to music and are fully absorbed in the music. T.S. Eliot said, music heard so deeply that it's not heard at all. But you are the music while the music lasts. This is deep concentration, an absorbed concentration. But, an important point, there may not be any mindfulness in relationship to what one is experiencing. To know that one is absorbed in the music is mindful presence in relationship to what one is experiencing. And this is an important and a necessary aspect of practice. So I hope you see the difference. It's really so simple. Concentration on an object and being mindful of the experience. And yet, while it's so simple, at the same time, it's actually extremely difficult to develop in a deep and sustaining way. This amazingly wakeful and vivid presence. So this is really one of the primary grounds of a clear, deep and powerful practice. Which in turn is the basic ground for insight to blossom, to sprout. And it can happen any moment. It's always and any time available. And, as I think most of you know, it takes a lot of practice. The truth of the matter is that we've just been too busy. And maybe been looking in the wrong places, in the wrong way. Our inner eye, you could say, is closed. One of the translations of the Pali word for mindfulness, the word being sati, it can be very helpful, uh, this particular translation uh, of that word, and it is to remember, to remember, to connect, to reconnect sati and again, although it's so simple it can be extremely difficult if we're clearly focused and mindfully aware if we're really truly present for just a few minutes that's a lot As we enter into this sustained uh, meditation practice time there are a few specific supports that are very readily available for all of us. So for the last uh, bit of my uh, part of this evening's talk I'd like to take a look with you at one of these particular supports and then Annie will uh, explore the others with you in a little while. So your first support is this very special gift of silence. This silence that very gently holds us in itself. Silence is really quite amazing in certain ways. It doesn't expect anything, doesn't judge, silence is infinitely patient. boundlessly spacious, open, allowing, and accepting. This container of silence that everything comes out of and returns to. And of course, within the silence, there are sounds, all kinds of sounds that arise and pass. And sometimes we interpret sound as noise. And I think it's important to note that this is an interpretation, actually, and to notice this. this. Is this or that sound noise? And what happens, in fact, if it's noise? Are you relaxed? Is your heart open to simply hearing, simply receiving the sound? Or is there a contraction? some form of aversion a feeling of resistance or of being disturbed if it's just a sound our relationship to it is simply and directly hearing and maybe also knowing the quality the particular quality of any given sound which in fact you also may be aware of perceiving it as pleasant or unpleasant along with maybe being aware of its arising and passing nature. And, most likely, you won't always or don't always have this particular relationship to sound. So, with an open heart and an open mind, just mindfully notice your relationship and response or reaction to sound Notice it without judgment in the midst of silence. Some people have said that sometimes within silence it feels as though all of the windows of the world all of the windows of the universe of life itself have been thrown wide open. When this is our experience We may have a sense of freshness, as though an open hearted receptivity and fresh clarity have been let in. Silence is where we learn to listen, where we learn to really listen, meaning where we learn to clearly sense and see inwardly, which leads to understanding the nature of things. So this is the first support, this gift of silence that we've all signed up for. Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention um, one thing. Uh, There will be, during this retreat, uh, a woman who is in teacher training. She's a teacher trainee, and she will be here with us for some of the Dhamma Talks and also some of the 8.15 to 9.15 sits. And she will also be sitting in on some of the interviews that I'm offering. So I would ask each of you, within the next couple of days, she won't be sitting in on the first interviews, so within the next couple of days, if you would please leave me a note up on the board telling me if it's okay or not okay for this uh, teacher trainee to sit in on your interviews. And either way is fine, but just please let me know. So I'd like to turn the evening over to Annie, uh, uh, who will talk about uh, the rest of the supports uh, that are available here. But before I do that, I wanted to just close my my little section here with two brief poems. The first one is by David White, and it's called Tillico Lake. In this high place, it's as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface and say the old prayer of love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face and just a a brief uh, part of a poem by Anais Nin and then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom
1: A look at the application forms that you've all sent in and I see that you've all done quite a number of retreats so you've, you've all done a fair amount of practice and that means you've done many opening night retreats or quite a few of them and so you will know that it's traditional to start the opening night, to, to close, end the opening night of a, a retreat by going through the refuges and precepts together. And sometimes because it's kind of just kind of comes in at the end of an opening talk, sometimes we can think that it's merely a formality, that it's just tradition. And over the years that I've taught here with Marcia, I think it's maybe eight years or something, nine, good grief. Wow. This is the role I've taken. I I do the refuges and precepts. And then, of course, I teach many other retreats, and very often I do the refuges and precepts there. And so I've had a lot of opportunity to reflect on the deeper nuances of working with and reciting and talking about these refuges and precepts together. Because there's so much more in them than just the formality or the tradition of chanting these refuges and precepts together. So as I go through what the the, the, the meaning of, of refuges is and then go through the precepts, you'll see that right away, the moment we begin going through the refuges and into the precepts, we can see that the practice is already starting. Many qualities are being collected together in the mind just as we begin to work with these. So when we talk about taking refuge, what do we mean? What, what, what is all of this about? Well, when we take refuge, what we're doing is we're setting the stage, you could say, We're preparing the mind for the undertaking that we're about to begin here together and bringing to the forefront of our minds the person and his practice and all of those teachers that have supported us to be here today to actually have the opportunity to work with this practice. So we take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, and refuge means a, a place of safety, a place where we're held, a place where we're supported. And these three, using these words, being held, supported, a place of safety, remember these words, because as the practice unfolds for you, there will undoubtedly be times where things will get tough, where it will be hard. Where you'll either be disappointed or it'll be too difficult for you. Those are the moments when we turn to the refuges of the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. This is when we can really see how much of a support these refuges of Buddha, Dharma and Sangha are. So really what what are we talking about? What qualities are we talking about when we talk about working with the the, the refuges. We're actually igniting the quality of faith. The quality of confidence. These mean the same thing. The quality of trust. That's what's happening just as we begin to look at these these refuges together. Now for some of us we might say oh no you know that that's just a little bit too much for me when you, when you start to talk about faith and that sort of thing. But the very fact that we've brought ourselves here, whether it's for two weeks or a month, and then not forgetting that you've done a a considerable chunk of practice over the years, you're not doing that for fun, are you? You're doing it because there is something that calls you here, something that calls you to spend time looking within, because you know that it has some benefit. Perhaps you haven't even seen what that benefit is yet but you know somewhere intuitively that it has some benefit so it brings you here and it brings you to come back over and over again that is the quality of of faith that's what that is so we take refuge in the Buddha this is the potential for our own awakening that, that we are a human being in the same way that the Buddha was a human being. And look what he did. So we have that same potential. So that's what we do when we take refuge in Buddha. We're also at the same time acknowledging his amazing feat of coming to the highest liberation. So we're saying that this is this is possible for us too then we're taking refuge in the actual teachings, the Dharma that he came to discover. And so at any time when we're lost or confused or we think, what am I doing here? We can take refuge in the Dharma, in the Buddha Dharma. Oh yes, what was his instruction? Oh yeah, awareness of whatever is here. It doesn't matter what it is, but can we be aware of it? In that way, we're taking refuge in the teachings. We're taking refuge in awareness. Right there. And then the last refuge, we take refuge in the Sangha. Now the Sangha, in one way, is this group of like-minded people, all here working towards the same purpose of deepening our understanding. And we are a support for each other. We will hold a noble silence and support each other in our practice by just simply following the guidelines of sitting and walking. So that's one form of Sangha. But then there are those that have done some considerable practice and are able to guide us. And so this is another deeper layer of, of taking refuge in those that are able to support us in our practice. And then there's an even deeper layer Of those who have come to the highest liberation. We may not even know who these beings are but they're out there somewhere. So you can feel how open the heart is when it connects with this depth of Sangha, the the, the, the beings who may have the highest degree of liberation. Or we can also see Sangha in terms of Just a kind of a sweeping view, in the mind's eye, from today, all the way back, two and a half thousand years ago, to the Buddha himself. And just seeing the whole lineage of beings who have practiced and have taught the teachings over all of the centuries, right up until today. All of those beings are the the, the greater the the greater holding of the Sangha, you could say. So you can feel there's a lot of power when we take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So we're not contriving anything when we talk about taking refuge. It's not like we're conjuring up any particular feeling. Simply from wherever we are, from our own depths of understanding, wherever it might be, we take refuge from that place. It might be from a place of, I have no idea what this is all about. But the heart can be open to exploring because it's about an exploration. So rather than the heart being shut down and I don't believe this, rather can the heart be open to, I don't know yet or I'm not quite sure, but the heart can be open and I'll take a look and see for myself how this unfolds for me. So what I'm saying right now is there are no have-tos. There are no shoulds. There are no musts. You can participate in, in in taking these refuges and precepts, chanting them together, but there's no have-to. It can be an exploration for each of you. So this is the taking refuge part of the support. There's a a great support in in taking refuge in buddha dharma sangha. And of course it strengthens and deepens over time. As each of us, our our practice deepens and strengthens, of course our own connection with buddha dharma sangha strengthens too. And so each time we come from a deeper place of, of understanding and connection when we take refuge. And we really do feel the support that it gives us. So uh, in another way we could say it's expressing our gratitude, a, a sense of reverence for Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. It's also a show of humility, you could say, because when we give over, when we take refuge, when we're giving over to Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, you could say in a way that we're taking ourselves out of the equation. It's not so much about me and what I think and I believe and I. There's less I and more giving over. That's the trust in the Buddha's Dharma in the teachings. So that's the quality of humility that we can get in touch with. So then let's take a look at the the precepts. So we we have the support of the refuges, we also have the support of the precepts. So right here too, right away, we're connecting with quite strong aspects of the practice. because when we look at these these precepts, The first being not harming living beings. The strongest way of course that we harm a living being is by killing. Not taking what's not given, that's to say not stealing other people's possessions. Not harming others with our sexual energy. Not harming others with our speech. And the last, not harming ourselves or others. In fact, all of these precepts are, not a, are about not harming ourselves too. Not harming ourselves or others with intoxicants. This is the fifth one. If we take a brief look at these and just reflect for a moment on what we're talking about. What are we talking about here? These are, the, when we work with these, this is an aspect of wisdom we wisely begin to understand that it harms us and it harms others to act in these unskillful ways. So right away wisdom is being developed. Compassion is being developed right away too. Because we understand from a pace of compassion that we don't want to hurt other beings. We don't want to hurt ourselves either. So right away as we begin to work with the The precepts, wisdom and compassion, is being watered in the mind, you could say. We've got that watering can and we're watering those seeds in the mind right away. So with the precepts, it's really about seeing them as guidelines about our life, a way of living a way of living in, in a harmonious way, a way of not harming other living beings. So as we go through each of them, chanting them together, see if you can bring them to life. Because often these can be said by rote, but really they're there as reflections. To bring, They're alive, it's to bring them to life. And they grow within us over time. They strengthen and deepen in the the nuances begin to show themselves to us as our practice deepens and strengthens. So while we're on retreat here, they also support us in terms of creating a, a container, as Marcia said, that that pairs down our activities. The, the, the first one, of course, not harming living beings, we don't harm living beings out in the world either. But we really bring it to our attention while we're here. Live with awareness of how we are related to other living creatures. The second one, how do we relate to this precept of not taking what's not given? Now this can cover all sorts of things. It might be food. It might be somebody else's cushion. Uh, there are all sorts of different things little nuances. For example, something that comes to mind for me right away. Many years ago, I was sitting a retreat with Aya Kemmer in, in California, a long time ago, and uh, she was a beloved teacher of mine. And I just walked outside, and it was in, in, in some uh, Catholic seminary, and picked a couple of flowers for her uh, to give to her, and, which was a lovely gesture. But at the same time, I was actually taking... What wasn't given. These were actually out of the garden at the seminary and there wasn't a sign that said, please pick the flowers. There was just an assumption on my part. So this is what I mean by, you know, as we bring a stronger awareness to the Fall, we, we can realize, wait a minute, maybe I'm just assuming something here. That's just one example. So then the third precept, On retreat, this one is held in a very particular way, as many of you will probably know. And this is, (coughs) excuse me, the precept of sexual activity. On retreat, it's held in terms of complete abstention from any sexual activity at all. And it's held in this way to support us to see what happens as that energy arises instead of acting on it can we simply watch it and see what happens what can we learn well one thing that we can learn is that it is impermanent it is an impermanent energy that morphs and changes arises and ceases so right away wisdom if we can you know wisdom can arise related to this precept so you know we're we're not dragged around by the energies that arise in the body and needing to just act blindly and then the fourth precept we're protected a little bit here but well, this is the precept about speech and here of course we're we're holding this precept in terms of noble silence so we'd really ask that you honor this this request, this guideline, and this precept in terms of maintaining noble silence. It's a great support for other, the other yogis too, and so sometimes we think that we can just say, excuse me, but but we we have no idea what's going on with somebody else in their practice. So really we want to, when that urge arises, can we just notice it? And see that that too, that urge will, it will cease. It arises, it can be seen, and then it ceases too. And then the fifth precept, intoxicants. Here too, I think we're fairly protected because it's complete abstention of of all intoxicants, recreational intoxicants and substances that cloud the mind while we're on retreat. But of course that doesn't include medication. So if any of you are on a medication of any kind, please stay on your medication. This precept doesn't refer to that at all. It's the recreational kind of drugs that we're talking about. So these are just the five precepts, but I'd just like to check if there's anybody that's going to be doing the eight precepts. Oh, quite a few of you. Well, those I don't know off by heart. I'll have to read those just to remind myself what they are and for those of you that that are not thinking today of taking the eight precepts remember that you could try it for a day or two any time down the line if you like and you don't have to take it for the complete chunk of time it could be a day at a time as an exploration now these additional three precepts incline towards the renunciation aspect of the of the practice quite a lot because we're we're, we're we're using these last three precepts to watch and see how the mind reacts to these additional limitations that we impose upon ourselves. So what are these last three? The first, uh, the, so this is precept number six This is about refraining the training, undertaking the training to refrain from eating at the wrong times. So for us, the wrong time would be anything after the noon meal or the lunchtime meal. And so this, you can see this is a renunciation. We're working to give up the, the, the tea time meal, our, our five o'clock meal and see what happens. See how it works for you to renounce that evening meal. It's a very interesting practice. We watch all sorts of things arise in the mind. If you have a mind like mine, it's a very devious little mind. And so it might come up with all sorts of justifications, like I've mentioned in past years that I would strain the solids out of my soup and then drink the soup and then thinking, oh, well, I'm not eating anything. I'm just drinking a liquid. But really, there were all sorts of, you know, other nourishments in that soup. And so really, I wasn't really working with that sixth precept in a very honest way. That was the first time I did it, though. So I do have an excuse. I didn't quite know the the deeper nuances. So and then, you know, you just explore, see how it works for you. to to try it a day at a time. Of course, it's not about losing weight. We're not taking it to lose weight. We're really working with it to see what goes on in the mind. It's not a macho thing. It's really about renunciation. I have to say all of these things because sometimes, you know, those kind of things can come up in the mind. So then the seventh precept, undertaking the training to refrain from entertainments, beautification, adornments. So this one, I think, speaks for itself, but it's amazing what the mind will find as entertainment. I mean, you know, anything. It will read anything, it will start to look at anything, it will justify itself, uh, you know, that this is an important thing to read, but really we're, we're just doing it out of entertainment. Um, And then the beautifying thing. Sometimes we think, oh, this is an easy one. I can easily, you know, give up my whatever it is. And then three days or four days down the line, oh, what do we we find that we want to do in some kind of way, you know, to beautify ourselves? I don't know what that might be. Maybe it's our hair, maybe it's a certain cream. I don't know what it might be. But take a look, see what it is that we, we might find that we want to do all the adornments. Take a look at what, what goes on there. And then the, the last of these uh, eight precepts, undertaking the training to refrain from sitting or lying on high and luxurious seats and beds. Well here we each have beds, so you know we're, we're taking what's offered. If you want, you may certainly lie down on that hard wooden floor. I'm sure Marcy or I wouldn't mind. <laughs> No, I'm I'm kidding. What I'm I'm really saying is, We, we want to watch how we pamper ourselves. That's what we want to see. All those additional pampering things. Now, this is interesting, a very good area to watch the mind. Because it might be pampering, or it might be a very valid necessity. Now that's what we want to watch. Some of us may have, you know, be the kind who are very hard on ourselves. And we say, I've taken this eighth precept, and that means I am not sitting on A, B, or C kind of cushion. I'm only going to sit on... And then we, you know, day one, day two, day three, and we're grinding, our, gritting our teeth, and we're enduring, but that may not be coming from the wisest place in the mind. So that's what we want to check what is the wisest place for us to work from in terms of the, this this last precept of, you know, the comforts that we need. Do we really need them? For example, at IMS, and I'm sure there's there are places here, we have this special room upstairs where you can go and sit, not in the hall, but in this little room. And there's some very lovely, cushy, chairs, you know, the fully, fully upholstered chairs, sometimes it might be that we're doing it out of indulgence, but other times it might be so helpful for us, why? Because it supports soothing the mind, settling the mind, calming the mind, steadying the mind. So this is what we want to watch. How are we holding each of these precepts? Are we holding them wisely or have we said I'm doing this and that's that? And then our practice we get tight and tense and the mind is agitated and there's zero concentration but we're sitting on the cushion on the the floor so it's about balance we're working with balance in the mind support, soothing and settling. So all of this comes into the precepts, you want to watch how we're how we're holding them. So let's, have you all got the chart sheet? Do you, do, do you know them? Oh okay. So it's about really watching how we hold them. I, I can't stress this enough because it's it's important. As we work with these precepts, it's about wisdom, wisdom and compassion. So we'll chant them all together, since everybody knows them. And we will go through all eight, since there are a few people tonight doing starting the eight precepts. Those of you who are not going to start the eight precepts tonight, when we get to the end of the fifth precept, you can just remain silent, and I will chant together with those that are doing the eight precepts. So I just want to check, if you look down the third precept, you all have a Brahmacharya there, right? Okay. All right. so remembering that it's not by rote, we really want to bring them to life, from this fresh and sincere place within the heart. And as we go through these refuge and precepts, this traditionally starts our retreat. This is the traditional opening of the retreat for us together and we're just going to do it in pali okay namo tassa bhagavato arahato Sama sambudasa. namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa Bhagavato, arahato, sama Sambudasa bodang saranang gacchami, dhammang Chami gacchami, sanggang saranang gacchami, bodang saranang gacchami, Dutiampi Damang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Budang Saranang Gatsami Tatiampi Damang Saranang gacami. Tati Tatiampi, Sangang, Saranang, Gajami. Panatipata Pata, wear up Adinadana seek up a dung, Adina where Sikapadang mini? Sika padang samadiami Musawada. Where mini? Sika padang samadiami sura Maria Pamadatana. padang samadiami wikala Pojana. Where up, mini? Sika padang samadhiyami Nacha Gita Wadita visukadasana Malaganda Wilepana Dharana Mandana We busanatana Where up, Sika padang samadhiyami Ucha sayana, Mahasayana Weatmini Sikapadang Samadiami Idang Mesilang Magapalanyana Sa Pachayo Hotu So the tr- retreat has now traditionally been opened? We're now in noble silence, so the retreat has started. The hall will be open for you the rest of the evening, if you'd like to come and do another sit. But I don't know if you have anything else to say, Marcia. Uh,
0: Just that I look forward to seeing you right now. Right. We'll sit together starting at 5.30.
1: And
0: at the end of that sit, we'll... The
1: together. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Just I'm not sure you all heard, but if you come in early, use the front door. I in So, I'll try to